we're going to look at the dispensation of conscience some more. And uh, we, we, got our, we found our way to uh, Genesis chapter 4 yesterday. We really got all, brought, brought ourselves all the way almost through the entire line of Cain. But if you look at the scriptures, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, you can see some things that are very, really remarkable, and, and they even get uh, more remarkable as you go through uh, Genesis 6. And, of course, that's why we're here talking about the scriptures, because the scriptures are something remarkable and therefore worth remarking on. But we find that the Bible is kind of divided out here in, in dealing with this part of, of history, in that it divides into a line of Cain inside of uh, what we might call a book, a, a book inside the book of Genesis. It starts out in chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, "...the generations of the heavens and of the earth." I won't go too particularly into the literal language there, but that is a different phrase, the heavens and the earth, than, a, than the phrase, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it is distinct language in order to segregate uh, the act of creation from the create and, and, and reformation of the six days. It actually distinguishes the work of the six days from the uh, work of the in, that is given to us in an unknown day, at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So you can look at those language differences, those of you who need to be maybe corrected in that view. But now we find the, the history of sin, really in the, in the occasion of, of Adam and Eve, and then in the occasion of Cain and Abel. And when we see Cain and Abel here, after the dispensation of innocence, when, when God made his provision, and we remember that God made his provision by, uh, he, he, he cursed the ground, he shed blood, he made a covering, and then he kept the way to the tree of life. Now we see the, the career, really the careers of, of Cain and Abel. We see the very brief career of Abel. We see the, brief career, we see the extensive career of Cain. And, of course, we, we remember that we got to the murder of Abel uh, yesterday. And we started to talk about, then, the way of Cain, which is the way of religion. Boy, is that an extensive way. You can find it everywhere. Then we saw the heritage of Cain, and we got through how it was that the, that the heritage of Cain is detailed in his progeny. And his, we, we started to look at, at yesterday at Genesis 4 and verses 17 through the end of the chapter. We, we started to talk about... Cain's heritage, and I had a few more things to say about that, which I'll take up today. Cain is the way of civilization. He's the way of the majority. In fact, the way of Cain is the broad way. It's the broad way. And we see that Cain begat and found his perfection in his generations, or in his progeny, by the time of the seventh generation, the man Lamech. Lamech is the seventh down from Adam. On the converse side, uh, we will find uh, Enoch, this uh, seventh down from from Adam on the, uh, shall we say, the blessed side or the side of the promise. And we'll look at that in, in, in due time today. But as we look at the heritage of Cain, we see, first of all, that Enoch, his first son, built the city. And then we see from the descendants of Enoch in within the context of the city, we might call them the metropolitans, we found... Lamech as the, as the final descendant, but uh, as his descendant, and then Lamech's descendant, born from his two wives, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal, or Tubal-Cain. 
And those three, Jabel was a nomadic cattle person. And uh, if you care to study economics a little bit, and you care to look at world history in a in a maybe a global kind of a way, and then in a and in a summary kind of a way, you can see in every place the vast distinction between those who farm and those who carry cattle. Cattle represent in many places of earth the store of wealth or the ability to store wealth. It is one of the foundations of uh, of what I might call a modern non-pastoral economic system, or uh, if we if we could look at it that way. And all around the earth, that you'll find that there have been or there still are conflicts between cattle people and farming people because cattle people are not fixed on the land. They're nomadic. They take their animals wherever they can to graze. And farming people believe in the possession of real estate and personal, uh, that kind of uh, real property. And they settle and so forth. So uh, we can see vestiges of our civilizations, uh, worldwide civilizations, which the Bible speaks to. But the vast bulk of development, what we call civilization and development, the vast bulk of it is really attributable to the way of Cain. And I caution you to sanctify in your own mind what you may call progress, whether it be economic progress, whether it be technical progress, whether it be medical progress, whether it be what some would call social progression, I caution you to take as a favorable word without judgment the word progress, because much of what we call progress today is actually the regress of civilization. And we have the wonderful Word of God to show us where that all leads to, and we're going to look at what the Bible says about that time in the commentary that is written in the book of Romans concerning the heritage of Cain. But I want to deal with these three descendants of Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And of course, it is it was a wicked thing to take two wives. It would be another wicked thing for a man having taken two wives to abandon one of them. I know that some of you may actually believe that missionaries teach almost universally to men that have more than one wife to uh, uh, keep the first one and leave the rest. That is not true. There are those who who would say something that's stupid. They belong home. You don't send those to the mission field. The Apostle Paul never told anyone in the Gentile world to dispatch a wife. He merely said that an elder of a church would be a fellow who had one wife and not many. If you travel the world, you will find many societies where uh, this, because they're Gentile and because of the way of Cain and the heritage that we have as Gentiles, uh, Gentile peoples, that they will have numerous wives, depending on how wealthy they are. You can have, you'll find men with as many as six or seven wives. Certainly, as their wealth grows, uh, they get more and more wives. Uh, This is not a, a proper thing by any means. It's a Gentile thing. Nevertheless, it happens, and the the solution is not to abandon any of those women and leave them to the ravages of the society that they're in. So I just say that for obvious reasons. But here now Lamech takes two wives. He's got double trouble. He's got a real bad consequence, and Ada and Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, if you look at verse 20 of Genesis chapter 4, he's the father of those that dwell in tents. We talked to that. And his brother's name was Jubal. And because music is such a popular form of expression, uh, not only in our society, but in every society, we need to talk a little bit about music. I think it's, it's appropriate. I'm of a generation, I'm in my early 50s, I'm of a generation 
that was tremendously impacted by music. Beginning in the late 50s, certainly throughout the 60s, and in the late 60s and 70s, music was perhaps the number one influence on young people, people my age, when I was in my late teens and early 20s. Among my peers, and uh, okay, a little bit, it wasn't with me, but I can I can point to very unusual circumstances that where music did not... Over, influenced me as much as others, although it did influence me quite a lot. We were overwhelmed with the music of that time. Our whole generation in America was overwhelmed with the music of that time. And I suppose if one were to look at economic statistics, one would see that music became an enormous industry uh, in the late 50s all the way through the early 70s. And of course, now it is an enormous industry as video has even been added to it. But the the content, uh, music is not sanctified by God. God uh, allows for music. Uh, God encourages us to have a melody in our hearts, which means we that's not music that's that's not sound if it's in your heart it's it's not being made noise outside. Of course, God has singing. If one were to look at the temple practices at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, if you were to pick up a copy of the temple by Alfred Edersheim and look into those temple practices, and if you were to look at some of the background, for example, of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says, "If I, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I have become as a clanging gong or a tinkling cymbal, you'll discover that in the temple practice, musical instrumentation was limited to those sounds, the, the gong and the cymbal, those, uh, those timpani sounds, and that those sounds ended when the actual worship began because God limited his worship to human voice. In fact, the temple practice was male human voice. Uh, I don't say that uh, we're bound by such a practice, that we're, we're certainly not bound by temple practices, but God is interested in the the sound of his people in, in praise of him, whether it sounds good or not, but does not authorize music, nor does he sanctify musical instrumentation. Well, I, I'm wandering down a little pathway here because I want to tell you some of the some of the uh, really stupid music that I heard when I was young and that had a huge influence on my generation. And maybe some of you can remember, for example... Woodstock. I, I remember it happening. I I think just finishing high school at the time. It, it wasn't very important to me uh, at the time, but later it became fabled as a wonderful uh, experience. Uh, I think the experience. Uh, half a million people showed up at uh, at uh, Yasger's farm in Woodstock, New York, and hung around there listening to rock groups and taking drugs and smoking uh, illegal substances. Later, after that event, I think probably a year and a half or so after, something like that, maybe a year after, a famous song came out by a woman named Joni Mitchell, and I'm going to read it to you. It was called Woodstock, and it's interesting what the lyrics say. First of all, well, let me just, it's better telt than felt, I assure you. Let me read it. This is the song Woodstock by Joni Mitchell. Well, I came across a child of God. He was walking along the road, and I asked him, tell me, where are you going? This he told me. Well, I am going down to Yasger's farm, going to join in a rock and roll band, going to get back to the land to set my soul free. We are stardust, we are golden, and we got to get ourselves back to the garden. I find that to be very interesting, because of the lie of the devil so much in there. First of all, it's 
was it was set to pretty good music. The music itself was very catchy. Now, those of you that heard it, you you could hear that sound maybe as I read, but the words are just dumb. Not only are they dumb, they're bad English, bad poetry, uh, bad meter, and bad English. Especially, well, we're going to get going to get back to the land to set my soul free. We got to get ourselves back to the garden. I, it's just the bad English. But anyway, the thought here was that we're all children of God. I came across a child of God. What made that person a child of God? Well, he was on his way to Woodstock, and I just felt really good about him. And he was going to go get free by going to Yasger's farm. Drop acid, smoke reefer, not work for a while, but still get to eat. Then the challenge, of course, is we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. I can assure you that none of that was judged by those who listened to that song, repeated it, sang it, and so forth. And that is the way that the culture of Cain, or the way of Cain, works, or the way of religion works. It works with group pressure. It works with that, with group group talk. It works with repeat after me. It works with unjudged statements. My friends, the last thing in the world we need to do is get ourselves back to the garden. Do you know a whole generation has been led astray? I remember when I was allowed to speak in a, in a church where I attended uh, about my Christian history and how it was I came to Christ, I, w- I found myself speaking to the generation of my parents. And they were all Christians. I was raised a non-Christian. I was raised a Roman Catholic. I had a few truths about God, but certainly not certainly not a Christian church. And I said to them, I didn't even know what a Christian was. Where were all you guys? Because we were totally surrounded by our peers and by the music and by the culture of our generation. And that culture of our generation, just like the culture of this generation, is dominated and will be dominated as the culture of Cain. It cannot be the broad way if it is not the dominant way. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation. So what then is the church of God except a culture inside any culture? And God has designed the church of God to be that refuge and to be that culture around his word that can survive in any culture because every culture is the heritage of Cain. It is the Gentile culture. And we're going to see where it goes and how it gets there as we look through the rest of these couple of chapters that lead us to the flood. Now, we also want to talk about, we we see the heritage of Cain and what rises up in it. We want to talk also about the influence of Cain. You see, because under Cain, the world religion got its real upshot. Turn to Romans chapter 1 now and read to you, just after one of our theme verses of our broadcast, BibleStudy.net, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it says in Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the, now here, we'll see the commentary on the antediluvian world, or the world before the deluge. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. First thing I want to do as I interrupt the reading here is remind you that in verse 18, it says that the wrath of God from heaven 
is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And by the way, that's the fact. Because the Word of God is the dynamite of God, evil men, men in the way of Cain, are busily suppressing the truth. That's why we have to go through great pains, for example, to send the truth through enemy territory when we preach it, such as a broadcast like this. Verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Now, we have past tense coming up here in the 21st verse, when they knew God, this now talking about man's history. I want to say something about verse 20, that God is God, that is the eternal power and Godhead of God, is manifest from the things that are made, from the creation of the world, it is, it, those things are clearly seen. The invisible things of him, that is God's invisible, but his attributes are are visible in the creation. That the, the attributes that are visible is his eternal power and Godhead. So no one who says that they are an atheist, that there's no God, is telling the truth. That, that person's lying. According to the Bible, the Bible says that those things are clearly seen. So when somebody tells me that they're an atheist, I tell them that they're not being honest. There's really nowhere to talk with such a person when they won't even acknowledge the thing that they clearly see themselves. And I don't generally waste my time if they won't engage in a discussion on an honest basis. Now, there are also those who claim not to be atheist but agnostic. That word means A as a negative, minus knowledge. Agnostic is I, as they, they do not... Gnostic is knowledge, so agnostic means without knowledge, or we have the word ignorant. Well, if someone is without knowledge about God, then I tell them briefly about the Lord Jesus Christ and tell them they can no longer be agnostic. Now they either have to be suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, denying the obvious thing. So uh, we, don't, we don't do ourselves well when we're busy trying to prove that God exists. We, we're ahead to believe the Bible that such a fact is clearly seen. We acknowledge verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, the invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood by, by the things that are made, his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Now, verse 21, this the history, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We have a threefold condemnation of man given to us in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. We have the Gentiles wrapped up with sin just in, the, in their Gentile life, that is the non-Jewish life, and every we could say it this way, everyone's a Gentile before there's a Jew. So at the time of Cain and Abel, everybody's a Gentile. Here we have the condemnation. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We'll see that in Genesis 6, how dark it really got. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and traded, literally traded or exchanged, exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. They actually traded the truth for the lie. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, 
verse 25, and worshiped and served the creation more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, we're beginning to see that going on again. Old sins don't die. Gentiles being what they are, people without the Word of God, people who who will not follow the Word of God, who will not entertain the Word of God, do descend into this abyss of sin, where they exchange the truth of God, turn it in, take up the lie of Satan, and they begin to debase themselves one with another. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. That's what comes up out of the nature of man. Man's a sinner, and what comes up out of man is is not goodness. You may believe there's good in everybody, but the fact is, the problem is, there's evil in everybody. Evil comes out of the heart of man for this cause. And when God gives man up to his own things... Then, then he gives them up to he gives man up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, or exchange the natural use for that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate minds, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now that is the direction of man. And that is where the way of Cain led. That became the influence of Cain. And when we when we see the, the Cain having gone out from the presence of the Lord and having only his conscience as his guide, this is where he goes. And his civilization, or his way of life, this way of what we might call the way of departure, was brought, as we turn back to Genesis chapter 4, was brought to perfection, really, or to its, maybe, maybe it found its, its real positive inertia with the birth of Lamech, who took to himself two wives, and he said now to his two wives in verse 23, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Here he concacts a little a little song. He, he's got a little song here, a little saying. Maybe he teaches them to sing it. Who knows? Ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Literally, this means this. If a man wounds me or a young man hurts me, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, Truly, Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. So, anybody that messes with me, here's here's Lamech's little song. Anybody that even messes with me a little, I will destroy that person. And so we see that violence. He brought violence to perfection. He has his little song here. He's gone away from the truth of God, and he's established in the face of God his culture and his civilization. Now we have verse 25 to close out this portion. Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth, which means appointed. For God said, she has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, 
So Seth is called Seth because he's appointed in the place of Abel. That is to say, God not leaving man to the con- the consequence of, of his sin, but in mercy gives Adam Seth. And then verse 26, And to Seth, to him there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, which means frail or incurable. That's the truth about sin, and that's the truth about man. He's got an incurable and frail problem. To Seth was born Enos, and then it says, and this is the end of this section about about the progeny of, of Cain, and it's interesting that Enos is named here, but it's an important event in the history of the Cainites, and he said this, and the Bible says this, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I've heard preaching about what a wonderful thing it was that Seth was born and Enos. Now men had an alternative, to the, and they began to call on the name of the Lord. Well, that's not what this verse means whatsoever. In fact, it can't mean that because men did not begin to call upon the name of the Lord with Seth. You remember Abel. He called upon the name of the Lord by faith before Seth was born to be his replacement or appointed in his place. Let me say that. And now this is actually not even Seth, but this is Enos, the son of Seth. What this verse actually means is not that this is when men began to truly worship, but this is when men began to call themselves or their gods. We might even say their gods, but really to call themselves by the name of the Lord. And this is a mistake easily made. Maybe you recall that Eve, uh, when Cain was when Cain was born, she she said, "I have begotten a man, the Lord." She had begotten the man, the Lord, or the, a man, Jehovah, knowing the promise of God that he would bring a Redeemer, they being perhaps a lot smarter than we are about Genesis 3.15, she mistakenly thought Cain was the fulfillment of the promise of God, her firstborn son. Well, that ended up certainly not to be the case, didn't it? But now here, as as time progresses just a little bit, Seth is, and we'll, we'll see exactly how far it is, Seth is born. He lives 105 years. Enos is born. And that is when men began to call themselves by the name of Jehovah. That is to say that at that time, men replaced Jehovah with their own devices, just as Romans 1 tells us. So now we have really the complete framework in which the society that Cain begat operated. Now, we have the the time frame given in the descendant of Seth of when men began to really get their religious deal going, and that was when Enos, or frailty, weakness, was born. And now we have Genesis chapter 5, and we have a new book opening up. Remember, the first, the book that we've just closed was the book of the generations of heaven and earth, now we have, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, the book of the generations of Adam, or the man Adam. And we have a repetition here of, of Genesis, of earlier. We have a, a, a repetition here of Genesis chapter 2. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. And so... Here's Adam, both Adam and Eve called Adam. Eve now taken out of Adam. His name, he was Ish. She is Isha, meaning from Adam. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now, it's 130 years. Adam's 130 years old when Seth is born. But you'll notice 
this really awful statement, this, this, this death knell to man, and that is, Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness. You remember, in the day that God created man, in the likeness of God created he him. But Adam lived 130 years, and after his own likeness, he begat. And that means, just as the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, that every man born a sinner. If we have time, we'll look at that. But we notice that he begat a sinner after his own likeness. And now we have this other statement. And in the days of Adam, after he begat in Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Now, a couple of facts here. First of all, Adam lives 930 years. He lives 130 years, begat Seth, lives 800 more years. That's the end of him. It's important to remember this time frame because it'll come up again a little bit. The other thing that to notice, to answer those of you who wonder where the wife of Cain may have come from, it also tells us in verse 4, and he begat sons and daughters. Now, whether he begat some sons and daughters before Seth, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Could have. I don't think so. But he begat other sons and daughters. When men live to be 930 years, I don't think we'd think they were in a great hurry if they waited, oh, say, 170 years or 150 years to marry. So that takes care of Cain somehow. It's not very important for us to know who Ada and Zillah were born to, the wives of Cain, because if it was important for us to know, the Bible would have that information for us. All the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And here's the repetitive little verse, the few words that are so that are so somber as we read the scripture. Adam lived 930 years and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. Now, this, this repetitive language is, is to have the effect that it has. Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahaliel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahaliel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. So we see the repetition. We see the fact that as one man sinned, sin passed upon all men, and, the conse- and, and death by sin. And so death passed to every one of uh, Adam's progeny. Well, as we look at the progeny of Adam, and we look at, at the development uh, of the race, and we see... Uh, the repetition of this death, we may begin, begin to become, well, depressed. After all, it's pretty depressing. Even though men lived a long time, the result was the same. Nobody remembers them. Uh, they're dead. Well, we're back to look at Romans chapter 5, and we want to see, uh, beginning with verse 12, this is said so much better than I can say it. I'll just read it. Whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, I want to say, Adam serves as a figure or a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who is to come, but he's, he's a reverse figure. He's a reverse figure. I won't say a mirror image, but I might say a negative image. Verse 15, wonderful verse of Scripture, Romans 5. We will read it carefully. You listen carefully, will you? But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. In other words, just like the offense wasn't, that is how the free gift is. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offense the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. And so we see that just as sin came through the world through one man, so grace came upon all men through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as sin came to all of us through Adam, grace came came to all men through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's available. Even though one sinned and judgment came to to many based on one sin, uh, one sin the free gift of God comes to many sins unto justification through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now, we have, all have sinned. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we have, verse 21 finally, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So I give you that so you don't walk away from this time saying, my goodness, he begat such and such and such and such died. He begat such and such and then he died and such and such begat such and such and then they died and that's all there is. You begin to become depressed. You begin to become perhaps existential. You begin to get the the feeling of the of the uh, hopelessness of the world, and you don't remember that our Lord Jesus Christ came to, rever- to reverse all of what Adam's sin brought. Now, as we look through the rest of the heritage of Adam, we a couple of people come to mind that really get our attention. The first one is the seventh down from Adam. He corresponds, we might say, to Lamech, the, the, the seventh down on the Cain side. Uh, this one's the seventh down on the Seth side. Uh, this is Enoch. And so we read in verse 19 of Genesis chapter 5, Jared lived after he begat Enoch. Verse 18, excuse me. Jared lived 162 years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty-five years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And so we want to look a little bit here at this fellow Enoch. 
we have another scripture about him in the book of Jude, where we learn that Enoch prophesied, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. So Enoch was a prophet of God. Uh, Enoch is remarkable for two reasons. One, because he begat Methuselah, and two, because he was taken. He didn't die. He's the one that it doesn't say, and he died. And we have Enoch as a picture that not of the great mystery, which is revealed later, that where the apostle says, I show unto you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Oh, my wife says that's the, the sign you put up in the nursery at church. I'm not sure I agree with that part, but we won't all die. That's a, and that's a picture. And God always and God often has uh, this picture for us to, to think about, those that he takes out and those that he takes through. For example, he takes out Enoch from the world and the judgment that's coming. He takes Noah through the judgment that's coming and preserves him. This is the way it is with God. Later, with Elijah, he takes Elijah into heaven in a whirlwind, and he takes Elisha through the prophetic work uh, that he has. So we see one here taken out and another taken through, and that's a figure and a picture of the coming age when the Lord will take out the church, which is his body, and he will take Israel through the judgment that corresponds to this one that's coming. Now, Enoch was a prophet, and so it's appropriate that Enoch have a prophetic name for his son Methuselah. And so we also want to look at Methuselah. He's an interesting guy, and Methuselah is interesting for a couple of reasons. First reason, Methuselah is interesting because his name is prophetic. Methuselah means when he dies, it's coming. When he dies, it's coming. So that's his name. People uh, walk around, see Methuselah, and they say, "What? What? what hello, what's your name? When when he when I die, it's coming. That's my name. When he dies, it's coming. Oh, that's old. When he dies, it's coming. What's coming? I would immediately, whenever anyone would hear of Methuselah, would immediately wonder, well, what's coming? Well, what's coming is the judgment of God. And, of course, we read in Romans 1 that they knew that the judgment of God would come upon their rejection of him. So that's one reason that, that Methuselah is interesting. Of course, the other reason that uh, Methuselah is interesting is because Methuselah lived 80 and 7 years and begat Lamech, and then he lived after Lamech 782 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died, and when he was 969 years, that was the flood year or the year that the, what we call the flood year, or the year of the deluge. And so prophet, just on, uh, exactly true to his name, Methuselah was a calendar for all the people of the antediluvian world to look at. They say, well, wake up. They go, well, is Methuselah alive today? Yeah, Methuselah is alive. Well, then judgment's not coming because judgment comes when he dies. Now, let me tell you something, friends. Postponed judgment is not no judgment. It was the grace of God that postponed judgment. God waited until man was as wicked as he could possibly stand him. God only intervened and brought the judgment of the race, which is coming, to end this dispensation. He only brought it when he absolutely 
had to. Well, before we go any further with that, we want to take up the other interesting fellow that we find here in the line of Adam. And sure enough, that interesting fellow is Noah. Lamech, another Lamech, not the Lamech of Cain, but the Lamech of Methuselah. And so now you had really two Lamechs. You say, well, are you are you with the Lamech, the son of Methuselah, that powerful fellow? And Lamech means powerful. Are you with the man who is powerful with God, or are you the, with the man who is powerful for himself, Lamech of Cain? And this Lamech of Methuselah was called Lamech, I believe. He was called powerful because he brought forth the son who would bring peace and, uh, and comfort. Verse 28 of Genesis chapter 5 said, Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son, and he called his name Noah. And Noah means rest or comfort. So Noah, or, or, or you might say peace and rest. And so Noah means rest, comfort, peace. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work, or the work of our hands, the toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And so they knew, prophetically knew, because they're in fellowship with God, they prophetically knew that Noah was the one who would bring an end to the sin-cursed earth, who would bring an end to the curse that was upon the earth that frustrated the toil of their hands. So we have two groups of people here. We have one group of people who adhere to the Word of God, who preserve the Word of God. I suppose these uh, are few. It's interesting to see how they co how they live together and the co how uh, coexistent they are. We will have on our website for you after this broadcast version of a time chart that my son-in-law did. It's a very nice ch time chart, and you'll be able to download it and print it on your computer that uh, can show you the coexistence of, of these patriarchs, the, of the men of the ancient world, and it, it even goes quite well beyond that and is a very nice reference for studying the Scriptures. Uh, it keeps you from having to do it all yourself, although you might just check him out because he's been known to make mistakes. I can ask my daughter and find out all about them. Anyway, uh, that will be available on the BibleStudy.net website for you to download. And it's interesting to note how long these men were able to live with one another and have fellowship one with another and promote the Word of God to one another. So also, conversely, you can infer how wonderfully evil Cain and his progeny became with the long lives that they had. So we look here at Noah. He is prophetically the one who will give rest. He will give comfort from the, from the curse of the earth. And then verse 30, Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Now it tells us in verse 32 of Genesis 5 about Noah, Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And those are in reverse order, by the way. Japheth later called the elder, Shem the youngest, and yet and yet he's the one most blessed. And Ham, the middle child, <clears throat> of course, Ham will be the one uh, in the next dispensation that's going to be problematic. He's going to be the one that carries over the error of Cain and the way of Cain into the the next age, which is to come. But I get ahead of myself. Now, this... Being the case, we have these two lines of men. We have those who adhere to the Word of God and who 
have prophetically the Word of God. And then we have the vast majority. We have the broad way of Cain. What happened on the earth? We read it in Romans 1. Here's the, liter- here's the story of it, according to Genesis 6. It came to pass, that is, as time rolled, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, we've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. Here we find that as men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and I'm, uh, we have, by the way, the time frame of this, this is not even a thousand years into human history. We have, for example, in verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with the man Adam, for he is also flesh, yet his days will be a hundred and twenty years. So here God pronounces the judgment of time on Adam, the man Adam. And he says his days are going to be a hundred and twenty years. That's all he has left. Well, Adam lived to be 930 years, so we subtract out those 120 years, and we find out that this is the year 810 after Adam, that the Lord now has something to say uh, about Adam, and, and he's going to judge. And here, as Lamech and the line of Lamech, let me say the religion of Lamech brought to as he brings culture and religion perfect in in the line of Cain, what happens is that as men multiplied, the sons of God, that is the angelic host, began to find the women, the daughters of Adam. And they took them wives. Well, this is an awful uh, situation. This is an awful statement. There are those that say, well, these are just those of the line of Seth who who decided to intermarry, but first of all, there's nothing here about not intermarrying, but the the second thing is, these are sons of God. That always speaks of created beings. It doesn't speak of someone descended. It doesn't speak of someone who is made in the likeness of of Adam, who is after Adam's likeness. This is a created being. Adam could rightly be called a son of God because he was created. Uh, Eve as well, therefore, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because he is not begotten by a man, but he, but Mary was overshadowed and bore him, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, but he was begotten of God. So here we have these angelic hosts, as it were, invited through the religion of Cain to look upon the daughters of men, and they took them, the, the King James Bible says, it, they took them wives of of all which they chose but this is not in really literally this is they took women it's not uh, having to do with marriage or anything like that they took women and the result of that unholy union and you may say how does that happen i don't care how it happens the result of that unholy union is verse 4 of genesis 6 there were giants in the earth in those days